0: Hi, this is Chris Westfall, and this is the Financial Executive Podcast. With the passage of the Affordable Healthcare Act, employers have had to quickly get up to speed on the concept of healthcare exchanges. While much of the discussion has focused on the public exchanges, financial executives will also need to consider the benefits and the risks of private healthcare exchanges. That focus will only increase over time. Approximately 6 million workers use private exchanges this year, and that's double the amount from last year. And recent studies suggest that up to 30 million consumers will participate in private healthcare exchanges by 2019. In this edition of the podcast, we discuss private healthcare exchanges with Will Gianconia, Vice President of Healthcare Strategy at ATP. Will's focus at ATP is understanding the evolving healthcare industry and putting together new products and businesses around the quickly changing landscape. Well, can you give me the the sort of the, the basics, the one-on-one of what a private exchange is?
1: Sure. So I think the first thing most, and, and I would also say there's lots of different definitions around private exchanges, but mm. I'll give you the, the few key things that most people would agree are, are part of a private exchange. First of all, it creates a more retail-oriented kind of a shopping experience. So it's more like instead of a traditional benefits enrollment process on paper or maybe with a primitive kind of an enrollment system, it really creates an, you know, an ambulance. Amazon like or an eBay like Mm. or a real retail oriented you know, very pleasing to the user kind of a shopping experience where they can compare plans, compare options, model the potential costs. Um, and what that does, it just creates a lot more engagement at the time of health plan purchase. And ultimately, we're interested in engagement because we want consumers to be more value conscious. We right. want them to be cheap and buy plans that don't provide sufficient coverage. Uh, we want them to be more value conscious. So I'd say that's one fundamental thing that private exchanges have, have brought to the benefits marketplace. Uh, the second thing for the employer is they have brought the ability for the employer to kind of take their hands off the wheel, for lack of a better term, Mm. as it relates to the annual process of choosing carriers and plan designs and all of those things that go into that uh, on an annual basis. And what they're doing is they're saying, I'm going to give my employees this much more retail-oriented, engaging shopping experience. The exchange is going to decide all the choices that are going to go on that exchange. um, And then the consumers get more choice, they get more flexibility, they get more Personalization, And the employer gets to take themselves out of that annual complicated and expensive process of um, of choosing carriers and plan designs. In, a, in an increasingly complicated regulatory environment, that's interesting right. uh, to some some employers. Um, and related to that, exchanges a lot of times come with what's called a defined contribution approach to benefits. They don't have to, but a lot of times uh, they come with a defined contribution approach to benefits where the employee, instead of just receiving uh, employer contributions, Contributions to their plan on a percentage of the premium basis they're given a fixed amount of money every year with which they then go out onto the exchange and they shop for benefits and again that helps to create value consciousness because um, they're spending their own money really, right. at the end of the day is what divine contribution uh, is meant to create um, and so I think that's a major benefit to exchanges and exchange-like types of offerings. And I think probably the last thing is, um, you know, in a post-ACA kind of an environment um, where employers have to um, determine which employees are need to be offered employer-sponsored plans and which employees um, do not need to be offered employer-sponsored plans, uh, exchanges and exchange-like experiences like this and ours at ADP uh, enables those employers to be able to offer one, Unified shopping experience to both of those populations. Mm. Um, you know, so through all of our HR and payroll data and our ACA management tools, uh, we're able to determine who needs to be offered employer-sponsored benefits and which employees need to be offered something other than employer-sponsored benefits. And we can do that. We can send the folks eligible for employer-sponsored benefits down that uh, more traditional employer-sponsored track with their defined contribution to buy benefits Mm. on the employer-sponsored side. And for those who do not need to be from a regulatory perspective offered benefits, we can, again, seamlessly in the same set of integrated products and online experiences, um, send those individuals who are not offered employer-sponsored benefits out through a partnership we have, um, with a company called GoHealth to access the plans that are on the public exchanges um, where they may be eligible for subsidies. Hmm. Um, So instead of, you know, the annual process that we've had to date in the benefits industry where the employer, um, you know, provides a really nice um, benefit and service to the employer-sponsored, you know, active employees, now they get to offer that same type of an experience by helping the individuals who they're not offering employer-sponsored benefits to, by helping them get access to plans that are on the public exchanges and, as much as anything, the subsidies potentially uh, that they might be eligible for. So that just creates you know a much more inclusive benefits environment and benefits culture. And the other really big thing it does, um, just from a bigger picture perspective, is it creates awareness right. among those employee populations that they even have access to those benefits because is a lot of times they don't, you know. So, integrating this into the annual employer benefits enrollment process every year will dramatically, we think, raise the awareness among those employees that they even have access to these plans on the public exchange and the subsidies. Um, and I think the second piece to that um, is that when you incorporate it into our broader you know, HR and payroll set of products and services, remember, this is the system that. You know, employees are in every day Mm -hmm. or every week doing things like checking their pay, um, checking their spending account balances. entering their time, you know, sometimes on a daily basis. Right. You know, so a big objective of exchanges is to create engagement. Um, the reality is when that's just a once a year benefits enrollment process, it it doesn't create year round engagement. Whereas when, when these employees, these part-timers who are in every day, every week, you know, engaging with the payroll system, the time system, Mm -hmm. their spending account system, they're naturally going to be more engaged, you know, when that message pops up within that integrated system that, Hey, this year you have access, um, probably to plans on a public exchange through the ACA um, and you may be eligible for a subsidy, you know, click here and go check out your options.
0: Well, you know, a lot of you know, we, FEI has a decent mix of of large firms, but we also have a, a strong showing in mid market firms. Where, where do you see mid market and smaller firms in terms of, of private exchanges? Yeah, well, a lot of times in healthcare, it's no
1: different with exchanges. Um, you know, in my experience, innovation starts with jumbo employers and with mm. really small employers out of necessity on the low end because you know they need to be on top of the most right, cutting right. edge options. They're lucky if they can even offer benefits sometimes. Um, and on the upper end. Because because they have a lot of resources to expend you know on doing the next great thing and if it doesn't work that's okay. They can shelve it and not worry that they spend a lot of money to make yeah. it happen. Um, so the, the I call it the middle market tends to um, kind of benefit from the things that stick. So I think that we will see the exchange concept begin to move down uh, into the middle market over time. And I think that the probably the most interesting benefit to a middle market uh, employer potentially um, is the ability to offer um, a lot more choice than they've offered in the past. Mm-hmm. Um, through an exchange because a lot of times mid to small employers don't have the the resources and the time and the energy and the budgets and advisors um, to create a complicated set of carriers and plan designs on their own. But if they could just, you know, you know contract with an exchange um, to provide that degree of choice in those services and really only think about how much they need to contribute, um, I, I think that is an appealing concept to a, to a mid-market employer. And, you know, I think that's probably the unique thing about the mid-market as it relates to everything else,
0: very similar to other employers, you know, exchanges have similar benefits across the board. Where, where are we at right now with private exchanges? What's implementation, implementation going on right now? And what do financial executives need to think about right now in terms of, of figuring out a, a, a private exchange option.
1: Okay. So uh, private exchanges are early in their um, product life cycle, Mm. I would say. So um, we're about three years in um, to a product life cycle that's typically 10 years, 20 years plus in the healthcare space, right? Um, And so you should think about us being, you know, the first 3 million employees are signed up on private exchanges. Out of a total of 150 million plus, so hmm. you know, two three percent adoption, um, and so a lot of the early movers have uh, have defined the conversation a little bit. Um, but but financial executives, I think, should be interested in these things for a couple of reasons um, as they continue to grow and, and scale. Um, one is um, you know in a increasingly consumerist healthcare world, hmm. um, you know there's a lot of good reasons for more consumer oriented types of health plans and healthcare services, right. um, but a big one is to make employees more value conscious um, at the point of purchasing a health plan um, and at the purchase of consuming care, mm. right? And what that means to a you know financial executive is potential bottom line mm. uh, impacts as people are more value conscious about the plans they buy and then more value conscious about the way they consume healthcare services. So for a large self-insured kind of an employer, if consumers end up buying uh, plans that are leaner, um, you know, less rich benefits; um, they will tend to consume less, um, mm. and so that can impact the bottom line in terms of um, you know improved healthcare costs over time. And the, and the nice thing is, I am you know very um, focused on using the word value versus just cheap. Right. We don't want people um, not consuming the care they need, not using healthcare service to the extent they need. It's value orientation. So maybe I don't need to take the kid to the doctor if. There's a sniffle, right? Maybe mm. I can call and say, hey, my kid's got the sniffles. Maybe it's a, a trip to the pharmacy instead of a trip to the doctor. That value-conscious attitude is an important thing. And I think, think the second thing is, um, and they're related with the excise tax Uh, coming in 2018, um, I wouldn't view a private exchange as a silver bullet uh, Mm -hmm. to get around uh, some of the complications of the excise tax. But in a nutshell, the excise tax will be a tax on rich health plans um, under the Affordable Care Act, where employers will have to ensure that their employees are enrolled in plans that don't trigger the excise tax coming out of the UCA. And so a private exchange or an exchange-like type of a shopping experience that makes employees, consumers, more value conscious and makes you know and encourages them to buy leaner plans, mm-hmm. um, can help in the run up to the excise tax. So instead of an employer in 2018 having to just across the board, lean out everybody's health care benefits and kind of one size fits all, put everyone in a less expensive, less costly plan with less benefits, right. a lot of consumers will just naturally on their own buy leaner plans. They'll buy down as, as we would call it in the insurance space. Uh, into leaner plants, so it's a it's a good coping mechanism for what's kind of the inevitable that's coming with the excise tax in 2018.
0: Well, I, I want to start first with, in in, in this. Uh is sort of a basic question, but when when uh, in, a, a company is considering a private exchange, what are the top three things that it needs to think about? And then I want to get into the exercise stack because I, sure. I want to yeah.
1: Uh, so it's a few things. First of all, there are a lot of different exchanges out there, right? right? Um, so I think the first thing uh, an employer needs to think about is um, if if they think an exchange is right for them. Um, then, what type of an exchange, um, and how would they choose? Right. So, let's talk about a couple of those things. Right. So, the first thing is: is an exchange right for me? Mm-hmm. Um, an employer who's moving to you know what I would call a pure. Prepackaged private exchange, where the exchange is choosing the carriers and the plans, for example, instead of the employer doing that. You know, an employer's got to be comfortable with that idea of taking their hands off the wheel as it relates to choosing the carriers, choosing the plan designs. Um, And you know, as we know, uh, benefits are an attraction attraction mechanism. Um, So employers have to be prepared um, to make that shift, and that's a pretty significant shift to put the the choice of the plans and the carriers and the details of what's offered to their employees. the hands of a third party like an exchange, right? Mm -hmm. So if that culturally and from an HR strategy perspective makes sense to them, um, then that's kind of the first hurdle they need to think about. Um, Once they've made that decision that they want to move to something that's like a private exchange, um, the next thing is to think about, well, what are my objectives with that? Um, Is it specifically around reducing costs, maybe moving to a defined contribution? Is it about offering more choice Mm -hmm. uh, to my employees and enabling them to shop like consumers? and maybe on their own like we talked about you know buying right. uh, more value oriented plans um is it all the above right because there are a lot of different exchange models out there um that can help to accomplish some of those different objectives, objectives to you know um you know greater or lesser extent right? mm. um, and then I think the last thing is the technology piece of it right so um you know, a lot of employers um today if they want to go to a private exchange probably need to make a shift in the technology that they're using um to help their employees enroll in benefits every year, buy benefits, shop for benefits uh, every year. So they need to think about that. Um, you know, do they want to make a jump to a third-party um, technology when they've already got a technology that they're using today? Um, or would they rather use what they have today? Because again, there are lots of different exchange flavors out there. Um, you know, In fact, the one that we have is one where we think it allows employers to have the best of both worlds, You know, have our technology mm-hmm. if that's what they want, um, while at the same time working with their broker or their consultant um, to create the exchange type of a shopping experience uh, that they're after. So I would say those are probably some of the things that they should be thinking about um, at the high level and then we could, if you wanted to, drill down to any of those things.
0: Well, one question I wanted to ask was sort of, so what are the hurdle rates for this? I mean, how do you choose what plan? Is it based on the size of the company, number of employees? How does that work into your decision-making process if you're an employer? You mean the exchange itself? The exchange exchange itself, yeah. Yeah.
1: Um, it, It can vary a little bit by the size um you know so for a for a large company you want to make sure that whoever is running the exchange um has the you know operational and the technology scale Mm. you know to to be flexible enough to meet your needs as a large employer uh, but also to scale just from a pure you know service and ongoing um um you know, operational perspective. I mean, mm. there are a lot, because it's a new industry, there are, you know, a lot of, you know, fairly small uh, startup types of organizations in this space. Um, so I would, right. I would be looking based on the size and ensuring that the organization you're going to move with can scale. That's mm. one thing. I think the other thing is think about flexibility. Um, you know, so any, this is an uncertain market, right? Right, right. You know, the, all of the projections for growth are just that, they're projections, right? Um, and anybody's guess uh, is probably as good as mine or yours or any one of the pundits, right? Um, so I think flexibility Flexibility is important um, for employers that they have the ability to shift. You know, if the market shifts, if the regulatory environment shifts, mm-hmm. we've had a lot of, you know, regulatory movement over the last few years, obviously, in healthcare. Um, so I, I think flexibility is big. And, again, I think the more um, large employers are focused with established and scalable players that can flex, I think probably the, the better off they are. For smaller employers, you know, it's a different um, potential um, decision process. You know, there may be uh, smaller vendors, maybe more software oriented uh, versus, um, you know, full service types of vendors that, that can make a little bit more sense for smaller employers.
0: When you're out there with clients, I mean, what are you seeing in terms of, I guess, the not necessarily the frustration level, but the the, the amount of resources that they're needing to put up against this? And um, how, how do you walk them through that? How do you you know, sort of say, okay, there's a, there's an end to this process or is there, is there an end to the process? Are you going to constantly be reviewing it?
1: Well, so healthcare, just again, given <laughs> the state of the state, uh, you know, in the country today, it's going to be an ongoing process, right? Mm. I mean, truly exchanges are not a silver bullet. They're not gonna, you know, be the beginning or the end of, of, um, you know, um, making this something that an employer can do this year and then walk away. It's just never going to be mm-hmm. the case. Um... So they should think about it that way. Mm. Um, And even, you know, if you move to an exchange um, and you're okay with letting someone else deal with the annual process of choosing carriers and plan designs and all those things, it's still your benefit strategy at the end Mm. of the day, right? So it is still a big part of your attraction and retention strategy from a bigger HR perspective. So it's something you've got to be, you know, on top of on an ongoing basis. And the other thing is, um, even even if you're moving to a private exchange and you're letting someone else choose the carriers and the plans and let your, letting your employees shop you still have to be thinking about um, you know from a cultural perspective um, what that means Mm. Um, you still have to be thinking about on an annual basis a lot of employers are making a defined contribution in healthcare now and I put that in Well, describe that.
0: How would you describe that?
1: Yeah. So in a defined contribution, I'll I'll close up the thought and then I'll describe it, um, is is something you need to think about every year. Mm -hmm. So you need to look at the overall cost of the plans that are going to be on your exchange every year. Mm -hmm. And if you didn't pick them as the employer Mm -hmm. Um, and you need to think about um, not only from a regulatory perspective, you know, the affordability provisions of the ACA, um, but just think about as the cost of medical care continues to go up, no one has... Ago, right, right. Ended that ongoing conundrum in, in the United States. Right, um, the defined contribution you set last year may not be the same defined contribution you want to set next year. So there is an ongoing process of monitoring and, and managing your your benefit strategy as a part of your bigger HR strategy. So if we if we just talk about right. defined contribution for a minute, um, so defined contribution is um, it's a little bit of a back to the future thing. We have a lot of this in the healthcare industry mm-hmm. where, where things come and they go, uh, they go in vogue and out of vogue, back in vogue. <laughs> and defined contribution is kind of like like, you know, in the 90s, this credits, flex credits, you know, approach. But um, I think the difference now is, you know, employers are thinking about this more as a wholesale kind of cultural shift uh, from a benefits perspective. So Mm. when you talked about the public exchanges earlier on, when the ACA established the public exchanges in 2010, this concept of the exchange type approach to benefits became part of kind of the American benefits lexicon, for lack of a, a better term. And with that came this concept of a more defined contribution approach to healthcare, A lot of folks would say kind of like, you know, pensions to 401 Ks. It will never be quite like that. Mm And if you wanted to, I could bore you with some details, but it'll (laughs) never be quite like that. Right. right. Uh, But that's the idea Um, on an annual basis for an employer, rather than saying, okay, I'll, I'll pay a percentage of your health insurance premiums every year employees. Um, and it doesn't matter if those premiums go up by 10% a year, I'm always just going to pay 80% or whatever the Mm -hmm. number is. Um, this approach says, employees, I'm going to give you a fixed dollar amount, X number of thousands of dollars a year uh, to go on to an exchange or an exchange-like shopping experience and to buy benefits with that fixed or defined contribution. Mm. So you can imagine people behave differently um, when you move to a model like right. that. You know, if you were out buying a car today um, and someone else was paying 80% of the bill, I guarantee you you'd be driving a different <laughs> car. You know, At the end of the day, um, with someone paying 80% of the bill, you're buying a car 20 cents on the dollar. Right. That's how people are buying benefits today. Mm. Whereas if you were to give someone, for example, enough money to buy a really um, high-quality, um, efficient, Toyota Camry
0: Mm
1: um and then, if they wanted to buy the Lexus version of the Toyota, right, they'd have to pay the, the full cost of right. that buy-up. That's what we're talking about with defined contribution healthcare. So, the employer will contribute a fixed amount enough to buy a really high quality health plan, but not a gold-plated health plan. Mm-hmm. Um, and if a consumer wants to buy up and buy that gold-plated, you know, you name the plan design, HMO type plan design with five dollar copays, then that consumer would have to bear the full cost of buying up to that rich plan. And that's a decision that they get to make. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of today employees wouldn't even have the option potentially to buy a richer plan so right. this at least gives them the opportunity if they wanted to uh to buy a richer plan while at the same time for the most part helping to cap the employer's cost at a fixed dollar amount versus on a percentage of premium basis
0: so that's a good transition i'm always thinking transitions about talking about the thought of the excise tax Yep. so what, describe the excise tax and and why it, it it's important to think about it right now?
1: So it's it's important. Well, let's describe it first. The excise yeah. tax is a tax on um, what I what in the industry we would call rich benefits, um, mm. and they, it came out of the ACA. Um, it's slated for implementation in two thousand and eighteen. The ACA has been a very fluid um, law, and the regulators have been very fluid in the way they've implemented it. So whenever I talk about deadlines and timelines and and the regulation, it's a point in time, right? Super fluid. There's a lot of discussion. We have a presidential (laughs) election coming up, uh, a lot of discussion on what happens to the excise tax over time. But net-net, it it is a tax on rich benefits Mm -hmm. um, that employers will have to pay um, if they want to continue to offer rich benefits that exceed the limits of where the ACA set the excise mm-hmm. tax to kick in, right? Um, and I, you, we would we would literally have to have a lawyer explain to you <laughs> all the ins and outs. Seriously, of how to, and we could. I mean, Mike could could do that for you to calculate it. It's it's a big document mm-hmm. as you can imagine that goes into calculating if or if not you triggered the excise tax, and it depends which state you're in. It right, it's pretty complicated. Um, but net net, all employers have to be thinking about: Am I going to trigger the excise tax, um, and what is the financial implication? Again, we're talking about financial right here of triggering that. Tax and that it can be fairly significant. Um, it can add up. I think it's forty percent of the cost of the um, the premiums in uh, excess of where the excise tax limit sits. So it, it can be a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think employers need to be thinking about from a you know a benefits strategy perspective and a benefits funding perspective. How do they get there? You know, so if you're a company that is in the business of Offering fairly rich benefits, and there's still a lot of companies out there that still do. Really? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, yeah. Surprisingly enough, it depends mm. on industry. You know, right, right. Some, believe me, some have moved way down the road mm-hmm. and have gotten to lean benefits and full replacement, consumer-driven healthcare, and, and all that good stuff. Um, but a lot of companies still are, are quite paternalistic, um, you know, and view benefits as a benefit. and mm. They want to take care of their employees, uh, and so it they, they've got to find a path um, to get their benefit levels under the excise tax or be faced with a with penalty at the end of the day. And, you know, the calculus for every employer will be different. I, it's possible some will decide um, that they're okay paying an excise tax. I don't think it's going to be very... <laughs> right, right. I'm sitting here with the, you know, the, the, the Financial Executives International crowd, and I doubt that um, there are going to be a lot of financial executives out there who are going to be okay. Please let me pay more. To, yeah, you know. <laughs> exactly. So um, I think most um, will be, you know, working to get under... Mm -hmm. tax tax
0: well is there is there is there a strategy to do that beyond just cutting benefits i mean or cutting back i mean you talked about funding and i mean how would you do that without just retreating in a sense
1: well like i said i i think um i think the best thing to do is to be working on it now right Mm -hmm. and exchanges and exchange-like experiences that that provide consumers an incentive, employees an incentive to buy those leaner benefits on their own mm-hmm. without being forced by the employer. Right. When we hit an excise tax wall in 2018, mm-hmm. I think we'll go a long way toward the um, implementation within any given employer of becoming excise tax compliant mm-hmm. easier on their employees because they will have voluntarily, the, the employees voluntarily bought those leaner plans. Again, when they're... When they're shopping with a defined contribution, they're most of the time not going to buy a gold-plated health plan. Mm-hmm. You know, some still will because they get to personalize, um, but a lot of them will will tend to buy more value-oriented plans. They'll buy more Camrys than they'll buy Lexus mm-hmm. automobiles.
0: What sort of r- runway do uh, people have in terms of the exercise tests, in terms of planning? I mean, you're talking about 2018.
1: 2018 is when yeah. it's effective. So, so you, you have- right now.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You know,
1: yeah. truly to, to give them a couple years of, of ramp time and they've been thinking about it. a lot of you know larger employers who've been um, who know that they have excise tax liabilities on the books, have been looking at this really almost since the law was passed. So you'll, you'll see some who've already started the move uh, toward leaner plans, at least offering options, whether that's through an exchange right. or a more traditional uh, kind of a benefits offering.
0: Now, you, now, ADP has a private exchange. Could you just walk me through what that structure is and why you chose that structure for the yep. ADP private exchange?
1: Yep. So we've just recently uh, you know launched our exchange. You're right. Um, and I'd say the first thing is we've launched that in conjunction with our broader benefits and benefits administration business so we've been in the hmm. you know benefits administration and enrollment business as part of our broader our right. uh, set of products and services for a long time we we actually enroll about a lot of people don't know this. We enroll about 15 million wow. individuals every year um, into benefits through our system. So, you know, a lot of times I get this question, well, you're, you're new to the game. Well, not really. We're not <laughs> new to this game at all, right? We're the biggest players in the country right. uh, in this game. So what we did with private exchange is once we realized, you know, we're in this early adopter mode, um, we've been watching this for a couple years, um, is once we made the determination that this is really something that's got to be a part of our portfolio because our clients are interested in these things, even if only 2 3%. Have actually bought and moved to an exchange. Mm-hmm. A lot of them are thinking about it, right? They they want to know that right. they have an option with us uh, to have a private exchange. That I would say from the from the highest level is why we chose to enter the space because our clients um, and our prospects are interested in right. us having this capability. Um, and I would say the second thing is, um, it, like I said, it's a part of a portfolio of um, benefits and benefits administration options. Hmm. Um, so even in the grandest projections, private exchanges, 10, 20% of the market over the next five years, that's still at least 80, 90% of the market um, that's going to be interested in a more traditional right. type of an approach. So we don't, uh, you know, there are a lot of exchange players out there who just, they have almost this evangelical kind of a zeal about private exchanges being the silver bullet that's right. going to solve all of healthcare's problems, and we don't believe that. But we, but we think, and it's an important component to um, to our offering and a lot of our clients' offerings to help, certainly help um, mm-hmm. solve some of their healthcare. Issue. So, you know, context-wise, just you know, think about it that way. Um, and then the second thing about our offering, it's different um, than some of the offerings out there today, and that a lot of our clients um, and the clients interested in, in buying our products and services are buying more than just the enrollment and the benefits administration. Mm. Because, you know, a lot of times they've got payroll systems payroll, yeah. with us and HR systems with us and talent systems with us, and with the ACA, our, our new ACA. Uh, Administration products and services, um, you know, have been, you know, extremely popular among our client base to help them Mm -hmm. comply with all the complexities of the ACA. And so what our exchange does, you know, it really is the first major, like I told you, scalable um, exchange in the market that puts the exchange inside, I always call it, that broader set of ADPs, what we call human capital management Uh products and services. And that's important in a post-ACA environment, again, for our types of clients who value multiple products and the integration of those multiple products because it's turnkey and, you don't have to coordinate five different vendors across the HR spectrum. Um, With the ACA, particularly all of the HR and payroll data that we have in our systems power all these ACA calculations that these employers have to make to comply Mm. just basically comply with the ACA so you know through our healthcare reform products and services and then that determines, among other things, which employees have to be offered from a regular, regulatory standpoint, employer-sponsored benefits, hmm. and which don't have to be offered employer-sponsored benefits. Again, we could detail the right, right. rules and regulations around, but net-net, that's one of the big things employers have to figure out every year now, hmm. um, and on an ongoing basis. And so so all that HR payroll data powers these ACA calculations, and then that powers ultimately which employees are offered which benefits, and that's where our integrated offering for our exchange is different. And that it can offer um, to the individuals who need to be offered employer-sponsored benefits you know an exchange shopping experience or traditional benefits shopping experience um, for the employer-sponsored side. But we can also, again, coming out of that calculation on the ACA side, help all those ACA part-timers that do not need to be offered employer-sponsored benefits get access to the plans that are on public Mm. exchanges and potentially the subsidies if they're eligible for them as well. So we think um, what's interesting and different about that for our clients is they don't now have to, in order to have an exchange, um, and in order to integrate that with their ACA and broader HR and payroll, capabilities they don't have to go out to a third party I was going to ask you about buy that, that. and right. integrate it because that's costly it's complex mm. it takes an ongoing investment um, they can have that all inside what they really bought from us which was an integrated set of mm. HR products and services if that makes
0: sense no no that totally makes sense um, I was going to save the, the last question for the most volatile mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you, we were talking about politics talking about election season yep um How do you think about this in terms of, uh, you know, ACA, always a hot button issue. Uh, Do you think it's going to radically change? Do you think it could revert to the old model? Do you think it, it could be something completely different? And... There you go. <laughs> so is it going
1: to rain tomorrow? It's going to be <laughs> sunny tomorrow, right? I mean, I, literally, I would say that's about making a prediction on that would be about as good as me trying to predict the weather. Or is there a dark dartboard? In there? <laughs> um, I, you know, honestly, we don't even think about it that way. And yeah, I, I know you want me to to give you a projection, but I truly would be kind of irresponsible if I did. So, mm. what our our perspective on this, and you know, Mike, by all means, you know, can um, can give you a perspective too. But um, our perspective on this is the law is the law, right? Yeah. Um, and our job is to help our clients comply with the law as it stands today, and also um, you know, give our clients a sense of confidence that if and when yeah, yeah. it changes, because it has taken some left and right turns, although it's, I think, generally stayed on its trajectory, um, despite some of the legal and, and other challenges, um, that we'll be there for mm-hmm. them um, to shift and adjust and flex um, when they need it. And that, that really, at the end of the day, is our strategy. The law is the law. We're going to help employers comply with the law and as soon as it changes we're going to be the first ones there to help them understand what changed and then provide them the products and services to to shift with it and that i mean truly that that's not even a pollyanna kind of answer that is truly our business strategy around this
0: no that's great i really appreciate you taking time thanks very much all right all right